You couldn't take these characters to tea in high society. They're happy enough taking themselves to tea in Regent's Park. In 1926, the London Zoo began hosting tea parties. Seems like a natural enough thing for a zoo in London to do. Except these tea parties weren't for visitors. They were for the zoo's chimpanzees. That's right, the primates who are some of mankind's closest relatives. The chimps gathered around a table set with china. And the zookeepers were the waitstaff, pouring tea and passing out plates of biscuits. These parties were such a hit that they became an attraction of the London Zoo for decades. Yes, those party manners are soon forgotten. Nothing like another drink to whet the appetite. In some archival video we found, chimpanzees drink daintily out of teacups. And humans gather around laughing hysterically. Humans just couldn't get enough of it. The animals peered over their cups like Victorian ladies discussing marriage proposals. So naturally, the tea parties got so popular that zoos around the world started hosting their own versions. They went global, which is exactly what's happening in the tea trade at the time. Marketers are rapidly expanding the definition of who should be a tea drinker across countries and species. All that is to say, in this episode of our series on hot beverage history, we'll be talking more about the tea parties. But we'll also be talking about how tea conquered the world with the first truly global marketing campaign. You know, before Coca-Cola or Nestle. Bill, who's been looking after chimpanzees for 30 years, knows better than to mix their drinks. And that's just as well, for you have to drink tea to get anywhere in the social circle. More after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Campsite Media, I'm Bijan Steven, and you're listening to Eclipsed. This is the second episode of our three-part series on the hidden history of hot beverages. Today, we're talking tea marketing. To learn more, we decided to tap in the only English person in our office, Campsite Chief Operating Officer Amanda Brown. She lives in London, but was in Manhattan for something that had to do with business stuff? Anyway, producer Joe and I work from our homes in Brooklyn. So we had to go to Manhattan to catch her before her flight back to Heathrow. It's not as cold as it has been, but it is raining. Very, yeah. very dreary. Dreary out. It takes a lot to get me to leave my house these days. This is the worst elevator. Oh, God. Did, you, did you feel it noticeably drop down? It falls every time. All right, and there it goes. It takes about 30 seconds to start moving. God, this is the slowest elevator I've ever been on. And it like shakes and wobbles. Getting the film suspended in a box over a pit by some cables. The rest of the office is nice, by the way. I like it. There's free Pellegrino and snacks and stuff. This elevator is slow as hell though. So while me and Joe are here, I'll take some time to tell you the reasons why tea is so associated with the British in the first place. I mean, tea doesn't even grow in Britain. Making tea a quintessentially English thing took a lot of marketing, chimp-related and otherwise. 
So I called up tea historian Erica Rappaport to help explain how this happened. She told me about a wide variety of tea advertisements, including some titillating ones. Can I, can I ask about the sexy tea ad? Uh, what was it? Oh, it was an ad from during World War II of a soldier in the deserts of North Africa. And so he's very blonde, very muscular, holding this big cup of tea. And I was like, now that's a nice cup of tea, you know? Rappaport wrote a book called A Thirst for Empire. It's about how tea became central not only to the British imperial project, but also to British identity. If your empire's borders are always shifting and expanding, you need something that helps bind it all together. Tea helped do that. So the British tried to give people all over the world a preference for the same hot beverage. Ultimately, it dawned on me that this is a story of the history of globalization. The British got their first taste of tea from China in the 17th century. And, like any good colonizers, they pretty much just copied Chinese tea culture wholesale. It's really fascinating how the British adopted not only Chinese tea, but ideas about tea that the Chinese had developed centuries earlier. You know, it's calming, it's intellectual, healthy, but tasty. Soon after they got their first sip of tea, the British started to get hooked on the stuff. And that became a problem. They get so addicted to tea, and the Chinese are the only ones producing it. So they start to feel very anxious in the early 19th century that they're dependent on China. The British-Chinese relations deteriorate, and the British are very worried the Chinese are going to cut off their supplies of tea. One of the big reasons for the deterioration of British-Chinese relations is that British traders are smuggling a lot of opium into China. They're running drugs across the Chinese border so that they can trade them for tea. One addiction fueling another. As you might imagine, China doesn't like this. Britain and China go to war over it in the late 1830s and early 1840s. The conflict later became known as the Opium Wars. But you could argue that tea was one of its major catalysts. Britain knows that it can't go to war with its only tea dealer and hope to maintain its tea habit. So the empire begins looking in earnest for other regions where tea can be cultivated. The British already control part of India. So they set out on surveying expeditions there. In the early 19th century, an English trader discovered native tea trees growing wild in the hills of Assam. Eventually, they find a place where they can grow the Chinese tea they so crave. The commercial possibilities were quickly realized. and soon I love the descriptions. They said, the soil in these areas are like China. The precipitation is like China. We can create our own China. Creepy. The problem is that the place they find tea is a region in northeast India that is not yet under British rule. So they implement a classically British solution. They just invade and take it. And so looking for tea kind of contributed to war with China and conquering northeast India at the exact same time. I mean, they're virtually overlapping. This all happens as the opium wars are raging. The new conquest in India means that the British have a steady supply of tea from within their own empire. They don't have to import it from China anymore because now it's a British product. And increasingly, it's a part of British identity. The Chinese pretty much stick to their domestic tea market. But the British market their tea around the world. And that's why tea is thought of as a quintessentially British thing in places like America, which you may remember as a former British colony. In the 1930s, the British launched what is arguably the first global ad campaign. The mascot is Mr. T. Pot. That's the letter T, followed by pot with two T's. 
He's like the Kool-Aid man, but full of teeth. Unlike the Kool-Aid man, he doesn't burst through walls. He's much more refined. And he had two little children that chased after him the couplets. So they were little cups, you know. It was very weird, but they thought it was super modern and advanced for advertising. Mr. T. Pot and the couplets are modified to maximize their appeal in different countries. Mr. Teapot in different countries would have a slightly different look. So in Belgium, they'd have a little beret. And ads in Sweden, they'd say, oh, you could go skiing with tea, you know? <laughs> Anything that was like, they'd try to associate with like some little cultural stereotype. In America, Mr. Teapot became Mr. Ice Cube. Because even then, Americans preferred iced tea. Throughout the centuries, marketers have tried to get American men to like hot tea without success. Rappaport calls American men the white whale of tea marketing. But I digress. There we go. <laughs> Sounded like a burp. I know. Hello. Hey, Jean. What's up? Uh, you know, just riding the elevator. Going to talk to my boss about monkeys. It's time for me and Joe to find our boss. First of all, it's extremely flattering to be just the closest person mm-hmm. that you can find to talk about this. So also, have to be our boss. I mean, this is great. This is. I feel like we're. A... Yeah, I feel. I, I. I feel important. Obviously, whenever anybody talks about tea, they they talk about English people. I, tea, it's just features completely in our lifetimes. You know, if anything terrible happens, you have a cup of tea. If somebody comes around, the first thing you do is put the kettle on mm-hmm. and offer them a cup of tea. A cup of tea is our cultural touchstone. It turns out Amanda is deeply familiar with the tea-drinking chimps I mentioned at the top, even though she's never seen them drink tea at the London Zoo. And that's because a tea brand took the chimp idea and ran with it. PG Tips ran a series of ads starting in the 50s that gave tea-drinking chimps human lives and human troubles to overcome. Wife chimps making tea for their husbands, who are also chimps. Things of that nature. The ads became some of the most popular and successful in the history of British television. And they ran for decades, which is how our boss knew about them. Amanda drank PG Tips because it's what her parents drank. And her parents drank it because it's what their parents drank. Well, lots more PG Tips to deliver. Cheerio. Good day. Bye. My mother was born in 1950, and she remembers when they got their first television when she was about seven. So that kind of tells you exactly when those PG Tips ads were starting to land. But it turns out the chimps weren't the only animals drinking PG Tips. At least, if Amanda's grandfather's household is any indication. Even the dog drank PG Tips. <laughs> yes, my granddad every morning would get my mom and all her sisters up by bringing them a cup of PG Tips. And then the dog would get the leftover dregs of, of tea because the dog was always super important. Because animals have always been really important in our whole family heritage. Mm. Good question. Now's as good a time as any to mention an additional sponsor for this episode that my employers don't know about. Fancy Dog Tea. Tea brewed specially for dogs. Your dog is your best friend. You feed them table scraps. But have you ever shared a cup of tea? Whether you have an English Mastiff or a German Short-Haired Pointer, your dog will know you really care when every day is a tea party in their honor. Find Fancy Dog Tea in your local pet food aisle. Not fit for human consumption. Consume at your own risk. 
But back to these PG Tips ads. As we've established, they had been running in pretty much the same form since Amanda's mother was a little girl. This is an ad of a bunch of business chimps in a boardroom discussing which companies to acquire. You know, like fat cats. Call it the chimps of Wall Street. We need to acquire a company or two. Sir, sir, Consolidated Bananas is up for grabs. Don't be a chump. I want something of The ads were a sensation. Some chimps were voiced by celebrities, like Peter Sellers. There were commercials that were spoofs of James Bond movies, with monkeys wearing fancy tuxedos and ice skates for some reason. Customers asked shopkeepers for monkey tea. The chimps made public appearances for ribbon cuttings at supermarkets. The PG Tips ads were a cultural juggernaut that continued well into Amanda's childhood. The one I remember really, really well were a bunch of monkeys having a monkey's tea party. Okay. And so they were wearing like frilly smocks and hats and they were passing each other tea. What did it make you feel? Did you did you want to be there with the monkeys having tea? <laughs> You'd think so as a child growing yeah. up, but no. I genuinely always felt weirdly uncomfortable about it, especially watching them dressed up in human clothes. I just never liked it. I felt sorry for the chimps mm-hmm. involved. You need to respect animals. Mm-hmm. I feel quite strongly about that, actually. It's interesting that Amanda brought up the moral dilemma the ads presented. Remember, the PG Tips ads were inspired by the tea parties the London Zoo put on starting in the 1920s. But the ad campaign's connection to the London Zoo goes deeper than that. The zoo tea parties were popular enough that they inspired people across England to adopt chimps as house pets. But chimps aren't pets. They're wild animals. And many households had to abandon the chimps because of that reason. In the 1950s, two women started a rescue operation to take in all the orphaned chimpanzees and they funded their rescue by featuring the chimps in the PG Tips ads. It all came full circle, sort of. As successful as the PG Tips ads were, Amanda believes she's not the only one with conflicting feelings about them. I think PG Tips drinkers were uncomfortable on the whole with those ads. They were considered a bit of an embarrassment. But when you get a when you get a brand of especially a hot beverage it's quite a it's a really personal thing right and it does taste different to anything else in other words it's not always simple to cut ties with a hot beverage even if their ad campaign weirds you out can you describe <laughs> what does pg tips taste like oh that's a good question to me yeah <laughs> <laughs> i guess <laughs> um it tastes like childhood in an uncomfortably bitter manner. Wow. After the break, featuring an ad from a real-life brand that I sincerely appreciate for sponsoring the show, my boss Amanda confesses a steamy secret. Plus, we'll hear the fate of the PG Tips chimps. We do have PG tips in our office, but Amanda pointedly did not bring the bitter taste of childhood with her all the way from London. What she did bring is a few bags of the good stuff. Fortnum and Mason's. She showed it to us when we were chatting in the office kitchen. Which is what I brought. So I brought uh, Fortnum and Mason's teas. Oh, right, of course. So I don't know how much you know about Fortnum and Mason's. Not a lot. So they're an extremely swishy shop that the Queen shops at. It's around the corner from Buckingham Palace. Have you had tea there? Have I had tea at Fortnum and Mason's? I have. 
Well, what was that? What was the occasion? The occasion, that's really asking me a very deep and personal question, actually. I'm, I'm genuinely just curious, <laughs> but I, you, know, you, don't have to, you don't have to answer. Oh, God. Okay. Um, well, it's, um, it's quite funny, really, because normally you'd expect, uh, if you're having a wild and passionate affair, to be going to a pub. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Me and Joe decided we better save this story for the studio. We're live, so um, the, the wild affair... I feel less comfortable now I'm like secluded within four walls. Um, but yeah, and I'm not going to give like exact details. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. I, I think this is just juicy gossip that we are dying to know. Well, the thing is, it's uh, one of those kind of hiding in plain sight last places you'd expect. I will give you the emotional landscape, which was that I was desperately trying not to have it. <laughs> so I thought... Okay, we can meet, but we'll meet at Fortnum and Mason's right, tea course, room, which couldn't be a more sort of light, airy, bring your grandmother kind mm-hmm. of affair. <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't an effective uh, nullification to the passions that raged. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, seeing the person doesn't help get over the feelings. Yes, in my in my experience. <laughs> no, uh, no, that's actually very true. It was fantastic. Wow. I don't regret a moment of it. Cheers. This tea is amazing, too. It's <laughs> Good. like, great. Thank you for bringing it. But did you visit Fortnum Masons more than once? Or? Um, I, I've, been, I've literally only been a few times. That's really fun. That makes it so much funnier. <laughs> Where was I? Right. Tea chimps. To finish the story, the PG Tips ads were so popular that they ran into the 2000s despite complaints from animal rights groups. But what happened when the tea party was over? These aren't actors, the chimpanzees. That's a clip from a Channel 5 documentary about the effects of the chimps' acting career and time in the spotlight. Teaching chimps to behave like humans makes it difficult for them to socialize with other chimpanzees, which limits their chance of survival in the wild. So really a mixed bag for a tea company. Were producing these ads morally questionable? Yes. But were they memorable? Also, yes. And you know, the interesting thing is, I have absolutely no knowledge, recognition, or understanding of anything that they did past the monkey ads. So I don't know what that tells you. I think it tells <laughs> us that the monkeys were effective, right? I mean, which I feel terrible about. Like it's like a ethical, moral quandary, right? To be like, well, the monkeys were appalling, and I always felt queasy and uncomfortable about them. However, I don't remember any of PG Tips advertising other than that. <laughs> Honestly, I feel weird about it too, and I guess the British public got there eventually. PG Tips replaced the captive chimpanzees with a stuffed monkey named Monkey. He kind of looks like a sock monkey with extra stuffing. Here he is in his own feature short. So, Monkey, yep. tell us about your film. Well, uh, here I am making a film about tea. Um, finally got here. The PG Tips chimps retired at a zoo where they spent the rest of their lives trying to be normal chimps. And, hopefully, never, ever drinking tea for an audience again.
Next week, we conclude our hot beverage series with an episode about hot cocoa. We're going to the South Pole. Eclipsed is a production of Campside Media. It's hosted by me, Bijan Steven, and written by Michael Canyon Meyer. We're produced by Lane Gerbig and Joe Hawthorne. Allison Haney is our production assistant. Archival research by Caitlin Rathy. We're fact-checked by Alex Yablon. Our engineer is Garrett Tiedemann. Our theme song is by Doug Slaywin. Morgan Lee Davies contributed research. Our executive producers are me, Bijan Steven, and Michael, Monkey, Canyon Meyer. The executive producers at Campsite Media are Matt Scher, Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Vanessa Gregoriadis. Special thanks to Amanda Brown and Erica Rappaport. If you want to say hello or what's up, drop us a line at eclipsed at campsidemedia.com or tweet at us at EclipsePod. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me at Bijan Steven on Twitter and Twitch. On Instagram, I'm Bijan Cakes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>